Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. When I was a teenager, I went to youth camp, but it wasn't that kind of youth camp. Wow. How old? What's the limit? Age limit? <laughs> Anybody else want to go? All right, I see a bunch of volunteers to be sponsors. All right, good. <laughs> Yeah, I love YFN. When I was a student at Christ for the Nations, um, there was a man by the name of Brad Howard who taught me um, youth ministry. Actually, he taught me youth ministry two. I took youth ministry one, one semester youth ministry two, and he uh, taught me. He's a pastor out in Rockwall, Texas, and he and his wife Denise. But Brad Howard started YFN the summer that I graduated from Christ for the Nations. And it's been going strong since. And uh, it's something that our teenagers love, and they, we always, they always have great experiences uh, making friends and becoming closer together, but most importantly, having God encounters. And uh, I, I love that. And I, I think that CFNI, YFN does it to the nth degree. And so really looking forward uh, to that coming. Also, just to... just. I'm giving you a very early announcement, and we'll be giving more details of it, but I've got all of our speakers lined up for our prophetic conference, and it's happening earlier this year than what we normally, we normally have it in the summer, but we're, we're doing it in April of this year. So it's going to be April 2nd through the 5th, and uh, we have um, my good friend Andre Bronkhorst is going to be back with us from South Africa. He's going to be here uh, that first day, Sunday, April 2nd. The next night is Roxanne Alexander. The next night is Pastor Burt Wimberly. And night four will be the great Daniel Plowman. So uh, anyway, we've got a great lineup. Daniel Plowman was with me today. He's, he taught in my class there at Christ for the Nations, taught homiletics and wowed the students. It was, it was a great time. So he sends his love to you. And he might sneak in here to see Doyle Dykes with us on Sunday. So uh, I hope he does. I hope he shows up. But I want to encourage you to be here that Sunday morning. Bring somebody with you uh, to see this marvelous world-class guitar player um, who is a good friend of mine. The first time I, I, I met Doyle Dykes was at a guitar clinic, and it was 1990. Oh, it's been 20 years ago this year, 90, 1997. We were living out in San Angelo, and I had a good friend who owned a music store there, and he called me and said, Hey, Eric, you ever heard of a guy named Doyle Dykes? I said, No. He said, well, he's a representative for Taylor Guitars, and he's going to come, and, and I'd like you to come to this clinic. I said, yeah, okay, I'll come. So I come, and I bring a friend of mine with me, and we're sitting there watching this guy, and he's playing this guitar, and it sounds like 15 people are playing, you know? And looking around, is there something, is there like a, a something backing him up on, for coming through the system? He's all by himself, and he's just tearing this guitar up. And then he just starts talking about Jesus. And every once in a while, he'd just preach a little bit. And, and um, he brought his little Bible with him and told us that uh, he read the Amplified Bible because that's the guitar player's version. And I was immediately hooked. I was like, that's my kind of humor right there. And uh, anyway, and he, he'd play and he'd play some gospel songs. And you guys have all heard him play How Great Thou Art, right? I mean, it's just astounding. Well, him and that instrument, that instrument and his gift there has taken him literally all over the world. And he's been able to just just love on Jesus with his music and just inspire people 
with his guitar playing, but also his relationship with God. And his, many people's lives have been impacted for the kingdom by this man. And so uh, he's, he loves Jesus. He, he pastored for many years, and, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm really glad to have him come be with us again. So uh, looking forward to that. That's this Sunday. He'll be at both services. So come and bring somebody with you. It's going to be a great time. All right. Praise God. Thank you, worship team. I love you guys very much. Did y'all, did y'all see the drummer, the new drummer tonight? Mr. Mason, really appreciate you, man. Thanks a lot. You did a great job tonight. Um, Mason is <clears throat> dating my daughter. And we'll stop right there. And... Uh, but I'm happy that he's in church. And uh, he and Maddie um, serve all, on Sunday mornings in our Irving campus with Brian and Jonna. And so I'm really grateful for that. We've got some great things going in Irving and in Granbury as well as here. And God is blessing our ministry immensely. And uh, I want to take a moment to say hello to all of you who are viewing uh, on live stream. We love you very much. God bless you. Really glad that you tuned in with us tonight and all of you who are listening to our podcast as well. God bless you. I want to say a special hello to Rod and Barbara Robertson. We love you guys very much and um, think about you all the time. And thank you for letting Brooke stay here. She is a marvelous gift to this house. Amen. Are you ready for some word tonight? All right. Well, now we've come to the great book of First. Thessalonians in our trek through the Bible, through the books of the Bible, Route 66, and now we've come to 1 Thessalonians. So I want you to take your Bible and go there, if you will. It is uh, Genesis, Exodus, 1 Thessalonians. (laughs) And a few in between. 1 Thessalonians is... um, it's a, it's a very good, I, I was tempted to put First and Second Th- Thessalonians together, and then as I got into studying this book, I thought, no, 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 no way, I'm going to have to make them two different Wednesdays. Um, so I want to just give you a little bit of background of um, First Thessalonians. Oh, we don't need to go to First Thessalonians, but we need to go to Acts chapter 17 first. Acts chapter 17, I'm sorry I didn't give that to you in the, in the notes back there, media people, I love you. Acts chapter 17, they are quick on the fly, though. They know what's up back there. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, in Acts 16 is where we read the story of how Paul had the vision in the night. He was trying to preach the gospel in Asia, and then he finally got a vision when they were in Troas, known as what we know as Troy now, and, and of a, a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us, pleading with them, come over and help us, which means they had to cross that sea and go west, which what's today is Europe um, and Greece, really. But at that time, it was a Roman province, and they did not refer to it as Greece. They referred to it as these two regions of Macedonia and Achaia. All right? And this city called Philippi was there in Macedonia, and that was the first place they ended up. And that's where Paul and them preached, and, and many came to the Lord. And a woman named Lydia, who was a seller of purple, a prominent woman there in the community, she took them in, and she began to finance, actually, their ministry. She was the first convert there, her and her whole house. And then they cast the devil out of a girl who was, who was fortune-telling and doing all the witchcraft and stuff and got her set free. 
and delivered from the power of the devil, and then they ended up being thrown in prison because of that, because those people who were using the scroll for profit lost their profit, and uh, P-R-O-F-I-T, and, um, and then they ended up in, beaten and, and in prison, but then they were praising God, and God rescued them through an earthquake, and the chains fell off, and then the jailer comes in and sees that they're all set free, and is thinks that my life is going to end anyway, so he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do that. Everybody's here. Nobody's run from the prison. And the man said, what do I have to do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and all your household will be saved. And then he took Paul and Silas, took them to his home, and, and bandaged their wounds from their beating. And they preached the gospel to him and his house, and they all got saved. And that's how the church in Philippi got started. Marvelous story. Well, then they left from there. They left out of Philippi, and they head toward this place called Thessalonica, all right? And chapter 17 is where we pick up verse 1. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis, sorry, and uh, look at there, uh, uh, Prince's girlfriend, Apollonia, some of you will know that, Um, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So three weeks he would go there on the Saturday, on Sabbath, and reason in the synagogue. That's Paul always, that was always his MO. Whatever city he came into, he came to his own people, to the Jews first, and tried to preach to them. And almost every time that turned into a train wreck because they did not want to hear this. But the Gentiles loved this message. I'm great. Aren't you grateful for the good news of the gospel? All right, watch this. Explaining, verse 3, and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks or Gentiles and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded Becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, poor Jason, and sought to bring him out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Wow, what a reputation. Huh? These who have turned the world, well, they really turned the world upside down. Really, the gospel was turning the world right side up but it was turning their whole system over on its ear, right? These guys that are turning the whole world upside down. You think they were threatened? Maybe just a little bit. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So now what these Jewish leaders are trying to persuade the Romans now, saying uh, they're, 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 they're coming against Caesar, guys. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. In other words, they took a bribe from them. They took their money and then sent them out of there. So this is the first experience at Thessalonica. As you see that this is kind of Paul's experience in many of the cities. Much trouble, much tribulation, much persecution. So they had been there maybe a total of a month. And Paul ends up going up to um, at, going to Athens and then up down to Corinth. So it's believed that he wrote this book from either Athens or Corinth, more than likely from Corinth. So it's it's considered to be one of his very first epistles. Um, some believe it's actually his first. There's a little bit of controversy on that whether it was Galatians or First Thessalonians. Truth is, it matters not. Um, 
But the purpose of this epistle was because, the, because of their abrupt departure uh, from Thessalonica and uh, just right after the beginning of this church, naturally Paul felt, you know, this compulsion to figure out, to find out how they were doing and uh, the, their condition. So then when Timothy joined Paul at Athens, then uh, his concern prompted him to send Timothy to them to find out how the church was doing there in Thessalonica and to encourage them and, and in their faith and to and to learn how they were enduring the persecution they were going through, because he knew they were. And then, so when Timothy returned to Paul, you can see that in Acts chapter 18, he brings good news about what was going on at the church there. He said, listen, these people are very encouraged. They're staying strong under that persecution, and, and they, are, they, are, they want to see you again. So Paul was very pleased about that, and, uh, but they're a young church, and so they needed further instruction. And uh, they needed instruction concerning, you know, what the consecrated Christian life looks like, what it means to live a holy life. And they also need to be reassured that their loved ones who had died in Christ uh, would not miss out on the blessings involving the coming of the second coming of the Lord. And therefore, we can uh, summarize this uh, by saying that Paul wrote this, this letter to, to, to encourage them and to praise them for their steadfastness under persecution and uh, to give them instruction about... Christian conduct, and then to correct any misunderstanding they may have had about Christ and His coming. So we can see those, those three basic things in this, this letter. So um, this book, though, is unique in that every chapter ends with a reference, a, a very certain reference. So here's where we're going to take a peek into the person of Jesus here and what about Him stands out in, this, in these five chapters. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 10, now watch this. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, I want you to notice something. We know that we have been delivered from the wrath to come. I like that it says he delivers us from the wrath to come, which means that, that it has happened and that it is continuing to happen. It wasn't a one-time occurrence for a one-time event. That one-time occurrence means that it is a continuing thing. He's saved you and He is saving you right now from the wrath to come. It's, a, it's your right now present reality. Hallelujah. Isn't that good to know? Why? Because we know that He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, seated on that mercy seat, or what we know also as the throne of grace. Amen. And there He is interceding on our behalf, pleading our case before the Father. And what is he saying? What is Jesus saying to his Father? He's speaking good things of you. Hmm? He's speaking good things. Matter of fact, the scripture says his blood is speaking on our behalf. Blood is speaking better things than that of Abel. And I need to say that again. Abel's blood cried out to God. It cried out and God said to Cain, where is your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me that question? And God said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Think about that. Blood speaks the language of God. Eve didn't hear that blood crying out. Adam didn't hear Nobody, Cain didn't, nobody else heard it. God heard that blood crying out. What was the blood crying out? It was crying out injustice. It was crying out, an innocent man has died. Avenge me. But 
But Jesus' blood speaks better things than that of Abel because his blood doesn't cry out avengement. His blood cries out for your behalf. Forgive them. I love that. It's the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood pleads for you. I was having a discussion with some students this week, and I was asking them, why do we? And I have before. I was raised in this for part of my life where we pleaded the blood over everything. I plead the blood over this. I plead the blood over that. I plead the blood over that. I plead the blood Um, Why? Why? We don't plead the blood. The blood pleads for us. See, Jesus never taught us to plead the blood over anything. We don't see any of, the, any of our apostles, any, any of those guys ever saying that. It's something that we just, it just sounded profound, so we just thought we'd just make it part of our vernacular. But it's really not altogether accurate. What do we have? We have the name of Jesus. Back of that name is a blood covenant. All right? So when you say the name, the blood is backing that name. Hallelujah. Amen. Just... Food for thought tonight. Okay. I feel like I lost some of you there. That's all right. I careth not. First Thessalonians 1.10. Listen, and to wait for his son from heaven. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming look at uh, chapter 3 verse 13 so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints is that you absolutely it is See, that's how we know that we're going to be raptured before he comes how can he come with us if we're still here on the earth amen he's coming and he's coming with you You tell them I'm coming, and the saints are coming with me. Heaven's coming with me. I love that. Okay, look at chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, we're going to cover this in our ignorant series, okay? So I'm not going to go into great depth on, on this tonight. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, anybody here tonight believe that Jesus died and rose again? All right. I had like three amen, so okay, I'll take you with me. All right. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, let's try it one more time. Does anybody here tonight believe that Jesus died and rose again? All right. Thank you very much. I didn't know if you'd start clapping. Or, uh, <laughs> All right, I'm, so, I'm having fun. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I love that. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, say that, look, see that? Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise, what? First, which means they get first class seating. All right, they rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, where? The clouds. And where are we going to meet the Lord? In the air. You see what I'm saying? Jesus' second coming is about him coming and standing on the Mount of Olives. Well, he ain't standing on the Mount of Olives here where we come meet him. He's in the air here. This is a different 
event than the actual second coming of Christ. All right? This is where he's calling his church up to be with him. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's already comforting, isn't it? Always be with the Lord. Are you seeing a theme about what it's saying about Jesus? Hmm? In every one of these chapters, it's talking about the coming Savior, the coming Lord. All right, next one, next, next chapter, the fifth chapter. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's a theme here. Maybe there's a theme here. And, and apparently, when Timothy came back to give report, he talked to them about their uncertainty about this coming and what that looked like. Some believed that maybe it had already occurred because in 2 Thessalonians, he addresses that. Some believed that maybe it had already happened. And Paul says, no, 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 it hasn't happened yet because we're all still here. So he's just helping bring some assurance here for them, help bring comfort and give them understanding that your, lo- your loved ones that you've lost, those who believe on Jesus, they're not lost forever. As a matter of fact, they're more found right now than they've ever been. I mean, they're in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. They're really more alive than you are right now. Amen. That's the comfort we have, knowing that those who we love and who have their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that when they go to sleep in death here, we know that they immediately are present with the Lord. Amen. They just, death, death is just a threshold to real life. It's not the final chapter. I thank God for that. I take great comfort in that. And here's how you can know. Here's how you can know that you know that you know that you know that you will, that you will be resurrected. Well, I just, I, you know why, how I know, Pastor? Because I feel it in my bones. That's good. That's not the greatest assurance that you can have, though. <laughs> I know because I've lived a godly life. That's good, but that's not the greatest assurance that, that you can know. Huh? I know because I was in the ministry. That's good, but that's not the greatest assurance. The greatest assurance is to know you're going to rise from the dead because he rose from the dead. His resurrection guaranteed your resurrection. Paul says, Listen, uh, if Jesus didn't rise, then none of us rise. If none of us rise, that means that he actually never did rise. Our rising is predicated upon his rising. And he rose so that we can rise. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the same spirit that raised him from the dead is where now? It's in you now. So you can be assured now that that Holy Spirit is a seal of your salvation until that day when he calls the dead out of the grave. Because Jesus rose, you rise. That's all you need to know. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do things for it. No, Jesus did it. So You know that you know. I love that. That's all the assurance you need. It's all found in Jesus. Hey, he's really the whole key to all this, isn't he? You just got to keep looking unto Him, looking to Him, trusting fully in Him, believing in Him fully. Stop relying on ourselves.
But here's where I want to go for this next, this next, these next few minutes. And I've, I've put the attraction and the memento together. And this is found on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's these little phrases Paul says uh, throughout here. Um, and, and they're just powerful statements. And I, I want to just talk through those for just a moment. And I want to encourage you um, to spend some time reading this in the next few days. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you can read this whole book, 1 Thessalonians, pretty quick. But this area especially, think about these things and, and meditate on this and pray about them. And just, just read them out loud. Um, even tweet them. They're very tweetable. It's like Paul goes into Twitter mode here. And he starts just giving these short little phrases along the way. And the first one is found in 16. It says, rejoice always. Wow. Rejoice always. It's a, it's a short statement, but it's, it's a tall order. <laughs> hmm? To rejoice always means that our emotions and feelings can't be the driving force behind what he just said. Because we don't always feel joyful, do we? You certainly can't depend on circumstances to put you in a rejoicing mood because they seem to come at times for the sole purpose of stealing any joy that you might have. If you're waiting on circumstantial evidence to make you joyful, I'm afraid that uh, you won't be rejoicing always. And if you're going to truly be able to rejoice always, then you're going to have to simply choose to do it. Rejoice means to call that joy that you have by the Spirit of God up. Rejoice in the Lord. How do I rejoice in the Lord? That is you get your mouth open and you begin to declare His goodness. You lift your hands and you sing a song. You praise Him. Huh? Acts of joy. Y'all remember who Smith Wigglesworth was? Great man of God, lots of miracles in his ministry, and uh, he was invited to speak at a man's church, <laughs> and uh, he got in in the evening, and the next day he was going to be doing a series of meetings, uh, and so he, he had a guest room upstairs, this man had a guest room prepared for Brother Wigglesworth, and uh, so the man got up in the morning, it was pretty early in the morning, and was downstairs in the kitchen preparing breakfast for when Brother Wigglesworth would wake up. And so he's preparing breakfast, and he hears all this stomping around upstairs like the house is going to cave in. It just goes on and on and on and on. And then here in a little while, Brother Wigglesworth makes his way down the stairs, and the man has his breakfast ready. He says, Brother Wigglesworth, uh, uh, everything all right up there? He's, he says, yeah, why do you ask? He said, well, there was a, I just heard a lot of banging around up there. I almost came up to check on you, but I didn't want to intrude. He said, no, 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 I was dancing. He said, you were dancing? He said, yeah. He said, I woke up angry. I woke up in a bad mood, and I danced myself happy. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. Amen. It is a choice, and, and no one can or will choose it for you. The choice is yours and yours alone. Amen. So, Jesus gave you something to think about. He, by telling his disciples what to think about. Don't take joy in circumstances. You rejoice because your names are in heaven. Set your joy on the permanent fixture. Amen. That way you can have joy always. Choose to live like, life on earth like you're already in heaven. Amen. Start practicing for it now because it's going to be a joyful, joyful forever time. 
All right, let's look at, the, look at these next, this next verse. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> you know, that, that verse used to bother me. How do you pray without ceasing? Lord, I'm not a very good Christian if that's what you require. Is, I mean, is he really saying pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Uh, and, you know, I can remember hearing this. Well, Paul didn't literally mean to pray all the time. He really, what he's, he's talking about an attitude of prayer. And then I just want to go, what is an attitude of prayer? What does that even look like? That guy, I can tell by looking at him, he's got an attitude of prayer. It just simply means ready to pray. That's what somebody would you know, say. That's what an attitude of prayer, just ready to pray. Obviously, he didn't mean 24 hours a day. Now, make no mistake, Paul did pray a lot. Remember, he told the Corinthian church, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than all of you, which means he had to do that all the time. He was certainly a man of prayer. And even when you're reading his, his epistles, he would say, we pray always for you and give thanks to you for, for you always to God. But he did have to sleep and he did have to preach and uh, he did have to teach and he did have to eat and he did have conversations with people. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? And I believe that we can find that in a prior book known as Philippians where it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So what he's saying is pray without ceasing and it, in everything acknowledge God. Whatever decisions you make, wherever you're going, don't forget to bring God into your situation. Pray without ceasing. Look to Him. Look to Him as often as you can. And, and let Him direct your paths, because He will. He will direct your paths. He's there with you. Trust in Him. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. And, and He's very interested in all of your ways. So He gives wisdom, and He gives guidance, and He gives direction to those who continually look to Him. Amen. Never stop praying. You'll save yourself a lot of frustration, heartache and headache maybe, <laughs> disappointment, by continually referring to the Lord and giving it to Him. Verse 18, in everything give thanks. I like this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Anybody here ever wondered, I'm just by just a quick show of your hand, anybody here ever wondered, if you were in the will of God or not? Hmm? You ever wondered that? You ever questioned that? Is this God's will for me? Uh, does His will at times seem a bit ethereal to you? Well, what is God's will? I don't know what His will is. You're not alone in feeling that way. We all struggle in this way from time to time. So that's why it's so important um, for us to keep reading His Word, because His Word is His will. The verse that we just read there says that it's God's will for us to give thanks in everything. I love that. So you can always be in the will of God by having thanksgiving prayers. Hallelujah. So how does this help you? What does this have to do with, with you wanting and needing to know God's will for your situation? It has everything to do with whatever situation you find yourself in. Because if you're feeling ill, what do you do? Give thanks to God. Huh? If you're in lack right now, give thanks to God. If your marriage needs a makeover, give thanks to God. Hmm? If you're discouraged or you're disappointed, give thanks to God. 
If you need direction, give thanks to God. If somebody hurts you, give thanks to God. If everything's going A-OK, give thanks to God. All right? Now, I want you to notice we need to make the distinction here. Paul does not say, for everything, give thanks. He said, in everything, give thanks. Big difference. Big difference. In everything. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you just keep that attitude of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me. What do you say? Hey, when you're sick, what is it that you say? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed. Hmm? When you're in lack, thank you, Lord, that I have more than enough, that you supply all my need according to your riches and glory. See, this isn't, your, your relationship with God is not one of begging and pleading. Huh? It's one of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Hey, listen, He is your heavenly Father. You don't have to beg Him to take care of you. It's His responsibility to take care of you. If He's going to call Himself your Father, then He has the responsibility to act like a father. Amen. Huh? Okay, we've got to finish this up. Look at this. Verse 19. Actually, before we do that, let's just give him thanks. Huh? Wherever you are, wherever you are, whether you're in trouble, whether you're in need, whatever it might, just, just offer up thanksgiving to him. See, this keeps your heart thinking right. This keeps, this keeps your heart in the right place. This keeps your mind in the right place. This gives you the right perspective, even though it might fight everything in you that you're going through right now. What do I have to give thanks for? Right? That's, that's, that's the tendency sometimes when you're, when, you, when you're in a hole, seemingly. Well, just do it. Just by faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What you're saying there is, God, I believe you no matter what. I'm trusting you no matter what. This, this doesn't look like. This does not look like it needs to. But I'm trusting you. And I'm thanking you that you will bring this situation around for my good. Look at this. Not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Now, I am very blessed and I'm fortunate to have been raised and am currently in a church environment where we love the activity of the Holy Spirit. We love the gifts of the Spirit. We love prophecy. We love words of wisdom, word of knowledge. Uh, huh? We love healings. We love miracles. We love the operation of the gifts in the house. Amen. Because that's, that's what God has given to His church for the edification of the body. And I believe that these gifts and manifestations of the Spirit are absolutely vital for the church today. Because um, we, we need to hear from the Lord and we need to experience Him in every way possible. And so God has given us so many ways to experience His goodness and to have His wisdom and grace come to us. And He offers so much of Himself in these gifts. And, uh, and I want all that He wants to give me. Am I in the right place? Huh? So we should be active in these things. We, we're believers, not skeptics. Because criticism, skepticism, ignorance have robbed so many people of the things of the Spirit. And I think that's really sad. To quench the spirit literally means to extinguish. The word quench means to extinguish. It means to put out the flame of something burned or lighted. Wow. 
or burning, I should say, burning or lighted. I do not ever want to do that. Do not put the, out the flame or the light of the Spirit. That's what it's literally saying. Don't put out that flame or the light of the Spirit. So have you ever tried to light a match when it's windy outside? That's the most frustrating thing in the world, right? And um, when the Spirit speaks to you, either through the manifestation of His gifts or through the reading and hearing of God's Word or even in your own heart, see it as if He just lit a match. All right? And so how will you respond in that moment? You can either extinguish that flame or you can let that baby burn. Huh? Burn out some wrong thinking. Make some corrections in your life. Give you guidance. Bring wisdom to you. And help bring light into your situation. Let the Spirit, the light of the Spirit, light up your life. Because at the end of the day, God loves you and God is on your side. And there's nothing to fear when it comes to His Spirit's activity and influence in your life. He is working in you and for you. Don't put out the flame of the Spirit. Let it shine bright. How about this one? Do not despise prophecies. The word prophecies here means a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. Wow. It's another way that God speaks to us. He declares His purpose for our lives through the gift of prophecy. Now, we've all experienced that here at One Cause Church because we love prophecy. We love the prophetic and we love receiving when someone speaks a prophetic word into our life. Can I go to a good amen? I know this, uh, prophets who have come through our church have really helped shape our church in many ways and even the direction that our church is going. And I believe it's necessary for us. My, my own life has been greatly impacted through different prophets speaking into my life. And, and the book of, um, uh, what's it called? Chronicles. <laughs> Sorry. I had... Uh, Corinthians in my head. 2 Chronicles 20, 20 says, Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you, you shall prosper. I'm just giving you quick little snapshots because we got to keep moving. Verse 21, test all things, hold fast to what is good. I like that. You know what he's saying? Chew the meat, spit out the bones. All right? Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. How are you going to do that? How are you going to test something? You're going to test it against Scripture. All right? I guess that, that's your gauge for truth. All right? If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it ain't for you. All right? So you test it through the Scripture. You keep coming to this conclusion as we read throughout Paul's writings. Every once in a while, he would just say, but what does the Scripture say? Let that be the theme of your life. But what does the Scripture say? Because that's what I'm going to go with, whatever the Bible teaches me. All right? Because it, it, might, it might be a situation that's very convincing, but you cannot let it, just because it feels right, because you think it's right, that does not make it truth. All right? Uh, I'm sorry, I love Oprah, but she's just wrong on that. As long as you're sincere and you believe it, it's true. No, 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 that doesn't make it true just because you believe it. Truth is truth, whether you believe it or not. All right? And if you believe the truth, then that truth will make you free. It's not true just because you simply believe it. Amen. And Lord bless Oprah. Not only that, but have some people that speak truth into your life. Proverbs chapter uh, 14 or verse 11. It's either 11, 14 or 14, 11 that says that um, when there is no counsel, the people fall. But 
in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. All right, you need some, some parent, pastor, mentor, somebody that you know that loves you, that you can trust, to give you some good sound advice. All right, test these things and hold on to what's good. All right, and then here's the last one. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. You've heard the term guilty by association? <laughs> my dad taught me and my brother when we were young. I'm not saying we always did this, but it is very good advice. He took a piece of paper and he drew a circle on the piece of paper. He said, boys, the scripture says that the devil roams about like a roaring lion. I want you to see yourself in this circle, and there he is looking for opportunity. And he says, you can, if you want to make a choice to bump up right next to the edge of that boundary, that's a dangerous place to be. You want to be somewhere here. He said, let me give you some advice. Draw a smaller circle in that circle and stay in the smaller circle, and you'll never have to worry about being on the other side. Abstain from every form of evil, not just evil itself, but even if it looks that way, watch the company that you keep, hmm? the things that you're allowing to, your ears to continually hear or your eyes to look out. Watch the conversation that's coming out of your mouth. Does it represent who you really are? Does it represent who you are? Does your speech match your spirit? Hmm? Does your thinking match your, Put on the mind of Christ. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Huh? How are you seen out in the community? Amongst your coworkers, amongst your neighbors, all those kinds of places. Abstain from every form of evil and represent him because you are lights in this world. Your life is on display. Your faith in Jesus ain't no private issue. Once you got saved, you don't have the luxury of being private in your faith. Once you got saved, your life became on display. All right? Because Jesus says, you're a light. A light is not a private matter. It just bursts out everywhere. Hmm? You're salt. Salt influences anything it comes in contact with. Huh? You're here on display. You're here to demonstrate Him in the earth. Amen. Praise God. So do it and do it well. Be who you are and do what you do. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this time together with my family. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you that every good thing in our life, we take this moment to say thank you that it comes from you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because we trust in you. We thank you, God, that you are ever with us, a very present help in time of need. Thank you, Lord, that you are our comforter. You are our healer. You are our deliverer, our strength, our rock, our hope, our confidence, Lord. So tonight, Lord, I thank you for your blessing on your people, that this word, Lord, will work in their hearts. This word, Lord, will influence their decisions. It will influence their speech. It will influence their behavior, God. I thank you, Lord, that your word is alive, and it's life to those who find it, and it's health to all of their flesh. So we receive your word with thanksgiving and say, Lord, let your word do what it wants to do. Have your way in our lives, God. Grow us tonight. 
Grow us, Lord. We want to know you more, Lord. We want to be closer to you. We want to have a greater understanding of what it is, what it means to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Lord, we want to be those who obtain promises, Lord, not just be wishful thinkers, but Lord, those who live in the realities of those promises, God. People of faith, people who are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Thank you, Father God, for your blessing on all these as they go from here tonight. They're blessed in their coming in and they're blessed in their going out, Lord. Thank you that you've made them to be the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. First, not last victors, no longer victims. Thank you, Father God, that the blessing of the Lord is upon them and that blessing can never be reversed. Thank you for that. Bless their families. Bless their marriages, Lord. Bless their bodies. Bless their businesses. Bless their jobs, Lord. Bless them, Lord, in their, in their waking up. Bless them in their lying down to go to sleep. And I declare that tonight they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make them dwell in safety in the name of Jesus. And I declare that all of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of their children. In the mighty name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.